Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to our teaching podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. If you'd like to know more about us, just check out our website at sunridgechurch.org. And of course, we'd love to have you drop in anytime for a visit to learn and worship along with us. And now, here's our teaching for this week. You know, I don't think I have to tell any of you guys uh, how important the impact of a mom is in the life of a child. Uh, no matter how egalitarian our society grows, the truth is, uh, research shows that you, moms, have... Um, the first, and in most cases, the largest emotional bond that forms attachment uh, for that little human being. And uh, the way you nurture your children, mom, uh, specifically, can even make your baby's brain larger, I learned, up to 10% <clears throat> larger. So if you're struggling in math, uh, blame your mom. Uh, and a, a Stanford study uh, showed that like even before birth, a baby's brain can recognize its mother's voice, and it prefers the sound of mom's voice over any other sound. So as a mom, the biology of birth and the proximity of birth puts you in a unique place, a unique position to influence your child from the very day that they're born. But the truth is, not just moms, uh, but all parents want to impact their children's lives. It's innate, and it's normal, and it's hardwired in us. In fact, according to a national study, 73% of U.S. parents are concerned about their children's spiritual development. And then a national study conducted by Barna Research found that 9 out of 10 parents of children under the age of 13 believe that they have the primary responsibility for teaching their children about religious beliefs and spiritual matters. And only 11% of parents said that their church was what had the primary responsibility. However, are you ready for this? What else has research revealed? It has revealed that a majority of parents don't spend any time during a typical week discussing religious matters or studying religious materials with their children. So in spite of the fact that almost 90% of parents believe that they had the primary responsibility for religious beliefs in their family, the majority of parents are willing to let their church or religious center provide all of the direct religious training and related religious experiences that their children receive. What is going on? Now, I'm not here to pile guilt on you parents. So if, like, if you felt that, let's just lift it off. And it's put it somewhere else because something is affecting our ability to do this as parents. And this comes from the Fuller Youth Institute. They did a study and they found that families have become inarticulate about their faith. So in other words, we're losing the language skills, in a sense, to talk about faith. And for the parents, they, they, they related it this way. They said, it was like as a child you spoke Mandarin but then as an adult, you forgot how to speak it anymore. That's the way that they put it. So that over time, parents and their children have become less fluent in faith. 
Now, we're in the middle of a series that we started last week called Family Life. We talked about marriage last week. And today, um, or next week, I want to talk to kids. I want to talk about what the Bible says to children. And so I want, if possible, if your kids aren't involved in something else, up in children's ministry, whatever, from uh, sixth grade up, I want your kids to sit with you in church. Because I'm going to talk to them, and I'm going to talk to you as their parents. And when I do, you can just nudge each other and cause conflict. But today's Mother's Day, so we're not going to think about any of that. Today, I want to begin a conversation about uh, how to speak faith in our homes. And I'm focusing on parents, whether you're single or married. But um, I will address married parents specifically at the end of the message. So let's talk about faith and kids first. There's a common misconception that I hear more and more from parents when it comes to faith and kids. I hear things like, I want my kids to choose faith for themselves. I don't want to shove religion down their throat. I don't want to force beliefs on them, and I'm not going to make them go to church. Those are powerful words like force and shove and make. But what it seems like parents are saying is that you should be spiritually passive in raising your children, to raise your kids faith neutral. Don't do that. If you want faith in your family or in your marriage, and you want your kids to have faith, a que Sarah Sarah kind of mentality will almost guarantee that they won't have faith in their lives and you won't have faith in your family. Now, there's a point at which, and we'll talk about this, that when we're, we're raising our kids, it's appropriate to let off the gas a little, right? But you're probably not taking the added, this kind of, you know, come see, come saw kind of attitude or laissez-faire attitude um, in anything else in their lives, parents. Remember, the whole idea of raising kids is that they need raising. And uh, the premise there is that the parents are mature and the kids are not and that we know things at parents that they don't know, and it's our job to teach them. Sometimes we even impose those things on them, right? So they need our leadership. And there's no place that, uh, where they need that more than when it comes to their spiritual life, because the stakes are high. Your kids are facing a life in which they're going to need God, and they will either have him or they won't. They're going to need to be guided by God, and they either will or they won't. They're going to uh, need to base their life on biblical values, and as they go through life, they're either going to do that or not. And in some cases, they are going to face eternity either with God or not. So given that, what should a parent, parent do? Everything we possibly can. You guys have heard of Moses? Anyone heard of Moses? Okay, I'm glad I'm with some people here that have heard of Moses. He's, you know, thankfully, he's one of the most recognizable names in the Bible. He's a great leader. He was a man of character. He was imperfect, but God used him mightily. He was the leader of Israel in some of their most difficult times. He authored the first five books of your Old Testament, um, and he was also a husband and a father. 
And near the end of his life, after he led the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years, and they're about to come into the promised land, the thing that they dreamed of, the life that they imagined for themselves, this place where they were going to be able to flourish as they never had been able to, a place to call home, to be a family, to enjoy life and thrive, Moses has a few parting words for them. And do you know what Moses talked to those people about before they entered the land, before beginning what was going to be, in their minds, the most amazing, blessed time of their existence? What did he want to talk to them about? He wanted to talk to them about how to bring faith into their family. And here's what he said in Deuteronomy 6.1. I'm going to put it up on the screen. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God, your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you. And so that, you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Now that's a lot of Old Testament, even though in New International Version language, but this idea to be in a place where the land flows with milk and honey, you can relate to that, right? As a family, you know, That's what every family wants. So how does that happen? In verse 4, Moses continues, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you uh, today are to be on your hearts. So number one, what Moses says to these families is parents, you put God first. You put God first. If you want faith in your life and you want faith in the lives of your kids and your family, then put God first. Love the Lord your God. You have faith, a real faith, a passionate faith, because the best thing that you can do for your kids' spiritual lives is to have one yourself. You can't give away something that you don't possess already. And, you know, maybe you've heard this phrase before. It's true of a lot of things. It's more caught than taught. How many of you are football fans here? Raise your hand. Okay. How many love the Packers? Rams. USC. UCLA. Miami Dolphins. Thank you, Patricia and Bob. Was there someone else? Bucks? Daddy Warbucks? I don't know, anyway. There's a fan. Now that's a fan. Thank you. Okay, how many of you, like raise your hand, raise one hand to say, I am a football fan. Am I? Okay. How many of you, your kids have the same favorite team as you? Put the other hand up. Now let me ask you, some of you are very disappointed and maybe some Old Testament discipline would be appropriate for your kids if they're not following your football team. But a lot of times they do. Why? Did, did every, at the end of every dinner as a family, did you gather around and open the sports page and read about your favorite team? Did you show videos? Did you have devotions about the greatness of the, the Los Angeles Rams? You didn't do any of that. They just kind of caught it. 
And I want to tell you, even if you don't do all the spiritual things in your family, you can't figure that out. I've been a pastor, a part-time pastor, full-time pastor, like for most of my life, and we've just struggled with family devotions. I want to be better. Some of you are amazing at it. I thought about this outsourcing that to you and having you come to my house, but like, it just was like, oh, dad, do we have to do this? Um, the truth is, though, if you put God first in your life, it's not a guarantee, but often it sinks in to your kids because they catch it. So give your kids the very best chance they can have by being someone who loves God with all your heart and shows them how to love their neighbor as themselves. Then what does Moses say to do next? In verse 7, he continues, Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. We'll talk about that. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Second thing Moses says is parents, be intentional about faith in your home. Have a faith. Have a real faith. And number two, be intentional. Moses said, these beliefs you have and want for your children, talk about them. It's, a, you know, like there's a naturalness to this. While you're walking in the road, when you're lying down, you're, you're having spiritual conversations with your children. Tie them about your forehead. You guys ever play that game heads up? Well, you wear that headband and then you put a word or an object like in the thing in the front and then Everyone's giving you clues, and you have to guess what the word is on your forehead. That's kind of what they were doing, except they had these little things that dangled in front of them. I don't recommend that you do this in your home, okay? Don't, like, start wearing, like, a paint stick on your hat with a Bible verse hanging off of it. But that, that was a practice then, so that the word of God was always before them. Put faith right there in your vision. Put it in front of them, and put reminders everywhere. Does that sound like let them decide for themselves? Impress it on your kids, Moses says. It's like it literally means to pierce them with teaching and insert that teaching into their hearts. Cut their heart open and put this in there. That's what we do with information that we want our kids to know. We got to get it in there somehow. The multiplication tables, boom, 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 you know, and doesn't everybody my age love the competition that you stood up and they said six, six times six, and then when you lost, you had to sit down? That was like a hostile learning environment, wasn't it? <laughs> it's the same with our values. We've got to like put them in there when we have opportunity. In different families, being intentional looks different. But if you want faith in your kids' lives, the truth is you're going to have to pierce their hearts, and their minds with spiritual truths. I don't hear that as punish them with Bible verses to memorize because they were mean to their little brother. That might be appropriate. We might have done that a few times. This is, so if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, we're supposed to be, if you're an aunt or an uncle or you're in proximity to someone's kids. You're like 
their godfather or godmother, or you're just, you're just like the adopted family. We're supposed to be looking for those intentional moments to pierce their hearts with spiritual things, and it's the opposite of what our culture is saying today. I heard this phrase from a guy that I follow named James Emery White, drop-off parenting. You heard of this? Anybody heard that? I had never heard it. It's when you drop your kids off to somebody or something to do something for you. You want your kids to learn how to play soccer, so you drop them off at practice. You want them to learn piano, so you drop them off for piano lessons. You want them to be educated, so you drop them off at school. And in many cases, this drop-off idea makes sense. It's called outsourcing. But there's one important thing that you can't just drop your kids off on. It's their faith. And if you want your kids to have faith, you can't just drop them off at church either. Because the church is not the primary source for spiritual nurture for kids. We have some amazing people that serve here in student ministry, and our children's ministry. We have pastors and volunteers that have dedicated their lives to seeing that your kids grasp spiritual values and know the gospel as soon as possible. And so we see ourselves as a partner with you, hopefully a very helpful partner. So get them here whenever you can. But who did Moses say is to be impressing faith in their kids' lives? Parents. According to James Emery White, in doing that, you're going to go through three phases in your children's, in impressing faith in the lives of your children. And these are in your notes, three phases of faith for kids. Number one's indoctrination. Now, for some of you that has negative connotations, like indoctrinate my kids with religion, but it simply means to put doctrine in, to put religious teaching in. Tell, like when they're young, you tell them what to believe. And you're passing on your values. These things are important for you to understand. And isn't that what Moses said? Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. So early in our children's lives, we're indoctrinating them all the time with all kinds of things. Don't lie. Don't hit your sister. Share your toys. Eat your breakfast. Throw a ball like this. You don't sit them down at breakfast and say, okay, you decide what to do with this. You say, you're going to eat this. And you're going to eat this first, right? And in fact, at one time, we're like, we prepare the food, we cut it up, we mash it up, whatever, and we feed it to them. So the first, times I, the first time our kids hear about faith, it's not like we put them in a room full of books that has a Bible in it, and then we say, okay, over the next few years, I want you to find the best book in this room to build your life on. We indoctrinate our kids, and we don't wake up on Sunday morning and say, kids, who wants to go to church today? Okay, Bobby, you want to watch Coco Melon? <laughs> Come on, can I get an amen for like down on Coco Melon? Who doesn't want to like just, I don't know, bang their head on a rock? You go ahead and watch Coco Melon, we'll go to church. You go and they come with you. It's as simple as that. That's indoctrination. And that is 
one of the most lovely periods of child raising because you have all the control over your children and they'll do whatever you tell them to do. And so whatever mom and dad or mom or dad are doing, they're coming along. That's an awesome period. But eventually your kids, they need more than that. They need more information and they start to have questions. And the second phase isn't indoctrination, it's education. They need help connecting the dots of the things that you've been telling them and others are telling them. They start asking why about everything. Why can't I have cake for breakfast? Where do babies come from? Why isn't grandma here anymore? What happens after we die? Why do we go to church? Why aren't we going to church? That always hurts. Uh, what is heaven like? And I feel for every parent here, that is, we've gone through it three times, and now we're making our second round with grandkids. The only difference is we can just go, you know, that's, you should talk to your parents about that. <laughs> Here's some more candy and cake for breakfast. <laughs> Paybacks are hell, that's all I can say. These are super important times in our kids' lives. Now, I didn't grow up in a home. I've told you stories. I didn't grow up in a home that went to church. Um, so I've never experienced either the indoctrination of religion or even the education of it in my home. But I've talked to a lot of people uh, as a pastor and just being a Christian um, that have either left the church entirely or are reluctant to go back because they were never allowed to ask questions about God in their home. And that's a failure on our, on our behalf, parents, to realize what phase we're in. The indoctrination phase has its time, and then the educational phase takes, takes over. And as our children grow, so will their list of questions. And they need to be able to express those questions, their concerns, and their doubts, and they need to be able to process faith through the lens of their lives, what their friends are saying, their school is saying, and their culture is telling them. Some surveys say that as much as 70% of teens who are active in church have serious doubts. And our answer can't be to them, don't doubt. Doubts and questions are normal. We've all had them. We have them. And doubt isn't unbelief. It's just a question. So help them through it. Likely, it'll help you too, because you probably have the same doubt. I, um, last week, I got to spend some time with a dad who is doing like the total dad thing where he got an old Camaro, it's in the garage, and him and his son are rebuilding it together. Took it down to just the bare metal. That's so cool. If I was doing that, I would be like 150 years old by the time we finish that. You can, that's a great picture of what it means to, to bring your kids through this phase together with you and talk about faith. And there's tons of resources for that. Whether it's podcasts or books or you just hang out with them or you're doing the car, you're fixing the carburetor or the diff-diff-naffinator or whatever those things are in there, and, uh, and you have conversations. The last phase is called navigation. So it's indoctrination, education, and navigation. There'll come a time in your kids' lives where you're just really on standby. 
and you're waiting to be asked. It's like the nav app on your smartphone. It doesn't ping you all the time and say, hey, where are you going? Hey, do you really know how to get there? Let me tell you about that road. Like you have to ask it to tell you, right? You enter that phase as a parent where they start to ask you. And, and in my experience, there was a gap where I wanted them to ask and they weren't asking. But eventually, we started to have conversations about those things again because eventually, our kids, some of them, they get married, they have kids of their own, they face big life problems, and then they start asking. How many of you, I wonder, came back to church? You kind of were on hiatus for a while, taking a little break from church, and then you got married, and now you have kids. And it's like, ding, I need to learn some stuff with my kids about spiritual matters. And now you realize how important faith is. You flipped on your nav app. And if you're that young adult where you're kind of waiting, I would just say, use your app. Ask questions because faith works and real faith makes all the difference in your life and the things that you want to have made a difference in. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's important for all of us who are contributing to raising these little human beings into adults that uh, God has never done with any of us. And he never gives up. And so if you're a parent right now and you're thinking about all these phases and you're just like, ah, I, like I can see all my mistakes. Or you're wondering what went wrong for you in comparison to everybody else. We have all these anxieties about this. Just figure out where you are right now, what phase you're in with that kid, with that child, sorry. And then start being intentional about that phase. Now let's talk about faith and marriage. Why am I talking to you about, after we did a sermon on marriage, um, about having faith in your family in the context of marriage? It's because if you want to do faith as a family and you're married, you must do faith first as a couple. Married couples have a spiritual connection with God. And connecting at the spiritual level, those spiritual values, the priorities, the life choices, are, are based on what the Scripture tells us. Following Jesus, believing in and about God. And it seems like in the Bible, the way it expresses this part of our relationship, kind of the spiritual component, it's the deepest level of intimacy two people can experience. Uh, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 19.5. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so that they are no longer two, but one flesh. This is something that only God can do for us. But we make choices that contribute to that. God is the tie that binds, but we invite him into that relationship. It's why the Apostle Paul warned people not to marry an unbeliever. It's not a rule or a punishment. It's just a simple recognition that this is a whole other level of connection 
that it's dependent upon having faith in common. Becoming one in our relationship is a lifelong and um, end goal for us. I've heard it explained like a, like a triangle. You know, there's one, the, one person here, one person there, and they don't grow together like this. As Christians, we grow toward God at the peak, and that brings us closer together. How in the world do couples do this? That's a great life group question for you guys to talk about this week. Now, right now, I know that some of you are struggling with what I'm saying because you're married, but you're not both Christians, or you're not both kind of like equally interested in spiritual things. So what do you do if you're a couple that want to be intentional about impressing spiritual values into your children's lives, but you're not both Christians? You're not without hope. And I want to spend a little time on this idea. How do I have a faith-oriented family if faith isn't shared in our marriage? So in other words, what to do if we're spiritually mismatched? First of all, I want to talk to the person, if you're the faith person in your relationship. And can I start with what not to do? If you're the faith person, you have to realize that you can't shove religion down an adult's throat. Remember the navigation phase? They're in that unless you're married as a six-year-old. Faith is a choice. It's personal. And any efforts to force faith on someone uh, doesn't last. You remember the crusades, the religious crusades of the 11th and 12th century? Do you remember their method of evangelism? It was torture. Sometimes it looks like couples are torturing each other when it comes to faith. You may not be on the rack being stretched to confess faith, but the misery can be just as excruciating. Remember what we learned when we studied 1 Peter. In chapter 3, verse 15, Peter said, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give you the reason for the hope that you have. So be ready to give this answer. Though This next part is a key part. But do this with gentleness and respect. If you're the faith person, remember that people, and spouses are people too, are not shoved into faith. They are influenced in the faith. Another way to say this is that the Holy Spirit convinces us of who Jesus is. Paul said that no one can confess Christ except the Spirit of God first nudges them. And then think about what we learned in 1 Peter, what he said to wives specifically, but it interchanges with husbands. Just travel here with me earlier in this chapter, 1 Peter 3, 1. Peter says, If any of them, spouses, do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. And I added husbands. Because in in an un equally matched spiritual relationship or or marriage, the best thing you can do is live it. So, if you're the faith person in your marriage, focus on modeling faith instead of pushing it. In fact, try asking your unbelieving or weak-believing spouse, does the way I live my faith make you want more of faith or less of it? And then just sit back and listen. 
People choose faith because they see something reflected in a human being and they're drawn to that. And we all try to live this out with our lives day in and day out. And some of you are being called to live that in your marriage relationship as well. But what if you're the one who is not a Christian in your marriage? Can I talk to you? What if I'm a wife or a husband married to a Christian, but I'm not one, or I'm not sure I want to be one, but I really do like what happens with my kids at church? See, I have conversations with people like this. Um, you know, man, my, my husband or wife is really into the whole church thing, and I love it that they go and that the kids go, and I'm really open to it. But then they say, I'm just not religious. And I think, yeah, me neither. I can't stand religion. Or they say they connect with God in other ways like golf and football or days on the boat and surfing. And I think, yeah, me too, except golf. That just makes you say bad words. That's been my experience on the golf, golfing with some of you. Um, they say they really want their kids to get the values from church uh, so that, the, so that the, there's something else they can use in the, in the cultural context that they're exposed to at school or with their friends or on TV, social media, the Internet. And I, say, I think to myself, yeah, that's a really good idea. You, it's good that you see that. And then sometimes people say to me, you know, I was raised a Christian and my parents made me go to church. And I had all these questions that I wasn't allowed to ask. And so I don't want to do that to my kids. And then I say, like what? And they answer, well, I have questions about science, the Bible, evolution, war. Right now, it just seems like you have to be of a certain political persuasion. Am I connecting with anybody right now? So let me talk to you for just a few minutes. You say you want your kids to develop the good values and belief systems they get at church. Can I just suggest, like, why don't you become part of that process so that you can understand better, but also that they can see dad or mom modeling that presence and gathering with other Christians. You say that, you know, that church is really, really important to your wife or your husband, but for you, not so much. But you know, in a marriage, we're becoming one, and that oneness is kind of like it's, it's becoming a part of what you, our, our various interests and, and doing them together as a family. And don't you think that if you joined your wife or husband or kids in coming to church, that there would be a huge win for your family, and that you say that you have all these questions that you don't have answers to. And can I just ask, what are you doing to get those questions answered? If this God thing is true, um, and it really means something, wouldn't it be fair to say that, those might, that they're, they're some of the most important questions that you should be considering right now? I wonder how many of us have done research on our career. How many of you have tried to improve your golf game? with videos, books, took classes even. How many of you never played soccer 
but you coach your kids in soccer. How did you learn how to do that? Didn't you have questions and doubts and concerns? And you just pulled up YouTube, right? Like, here's a first practice for a six-year-old. It's all right there. If you're the unfaith person in your marriage, join the family in learning about God by going to church and take steps to get your questions answered. There's tons of ways to do that. And by the way, you have a resource right in front of you. Me, the other pastors in this church, your friends. This is a church where we welcome questions. We're not afraid to ask the questions and go to the Scripture. You're not going to look dumb. In fact, what you're going to find is you're not the only person with that question. I'm going to ask the band to come up now. And um, I want to just take one last uh, approach to, to the unfaith person that's here today. Have you guys ever heard of Pascal's wager? He was a French intellectual that lived in the 17th century who put all this God talk, all these God ideas into the form of a wager. And he said that you're betting with your life as to whether there is a God or there isn't. And here are some of the things that he said. Number one, if you live your life like there is a God, then there is, then you've won. If you live your life like there isn't a God, and there is, you've lost. And if you live your life like there is, and there isn't, you haven't lost anything. Something to think about, right? What do you think? I'm going to close with this. There was a national survey of children between the ages of 8 and 12, and here's what they found. Less than half state that faith is important in their life. Only 36% believe the Bible is accurate. Less than one in five would share their faith with their peers. Only a fourth believe that Satan is real. Eight in 10 believe you can earn your way to heaven. And the majority have no intention of, of attending church when they're older. Parents, we have the opportunity to do something about that. Grandparents as well, friends, aunties, uncles, however you fit into that picture, we have to learn how to speak faith in our homes. Let's pray. Hey everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, keep helping people find and follow Jesus.